You're listening to a North Valley Church podcast. Thanks so much for joining. For more information and resources, you can visit us online at northvalley.org. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for today. Thank you that we do have a friend in Jesus. We pray uh, for the Holy Spirit right now to encourage and build us up. Uh, thank you for your word, Father, the truthfulness in Scripture. And thank you for the, the joy that we find in singing and giving praise to you. Um, in Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said... Amen. Well, good to see you guys here today. A lot of folks here this morning in our second service. Uh, um, a Labor Day is upon us, and we're grateful for you who all labor and make our, our community better, our family stronger, our country better. So thank you for working. Um, I hope you enjoy your day tomorrow and your afternoon this afternoon. And then I want to say special thanks to the, some of the workers, all of the workers that are in our church that volunteer and serve. Um, let's give them a big round of applause for making this place work. Uh, one in particular I'm going to give is to Kevin Ross. He decided to sit on the front row today. Perfect. Kevin serves with our uh, sound team, tech team. He's done a fantastic job. And he's a Harley Davidson writer too, so makes him extra cool. You guys give Kevin a big round of applause. Thank you, buddy. Give me, yeah, and he's got a nice sleeve too. One day I'm going to get all total sleeve. No, I'm joking. My kids always ask me, like, Ryan, you were such a renegade. How come you never got tattoos? And I said, because I could never find something that I liked that much. But if you got tattoos, awesome. They look great. Good job. Um, hey, I want to start us off today um, with reading a p- passage of scripture about um, raising up the next generation. We are wrapping up today's series called Unapologetic. And what we mean by that is that we should not have to apologize for truth. By the way, our first constitutional right is freedom of speech. This is very, very important. However, we are called to be uh, kind and loving. And so we've said our model is for the Christian today is to be like Jesus, full of grace and full of Let's try that again. Our model is to be like Jesus Christ, full of grace and full of... There you go. Are we we here? Okay. Uh, uh, Psalm 78, 4 through 7. Um, This is not going to be the primary text, but this is going to be the calling to teach truth. This is for the call for mom, the call for dad, the call for grandpa, the call for grandma. And we are so cool today. We do not say grandpa and grandma. We say papa and pop, mimi, and pee and mimi. And we got all sorts of names, right? So this is the call uh, to teach truth. This is the call for teachers to teach truth. This is the call for the believer in the Old Testament, the call for the Christian in the New Testament. This is the call to teach truth. Psalm 78, 4 through 7. Um, I'm going to read it to you. Go ahead and stand up. I'm going to read it aloud. You don't have to read along with me because I will probably mess up the cadence and then we will sound like we did a few weeks ago, like everybody's speaking in tongues or something like that. Okay, Psalm 78, 4 through 7. Listen to this. It says, we will not hide these truths from our children. We will tell the next generation about the glorious deeds of the Lord, about his power and his mighty wonders. Let me pause just for a moment. That means that parents are called to teach the truth to their children, our children. That's what it says. And then it says, continuing on, we will tell uh, additional people, the next generation, about what? The glorious deeds of the Lord, about his power and his mighty wonders. 
This is about the goodness of God, his greatness over your life, how he's impacted your life as a individual. We're to share God's goodness, God's grace, what he's done in the past. Um, is it the indicator of the things that he's going to do great things in the future? Verse 5, for he issued his laws to Jacob. He gave his instructions to Israel. He commanded our ancestors to teach them to their children so the next generation might know them, even the children not yet born. And they, in turn, will teach their own children. So each generation should set its hope anew on God, not forgetting his glorious miracles and obeying his commandments. Amen? Amen. All right, you can be seated. Um, I want to encourage you today that this is the pattern. This is the picture. This is the vision for you, mom, dad, grandpa, grandma. This is the vision for you, young teenager, kids, that one day you're going to take truth and say, I believe in truth. I accept truth. I will teach truth because truth is good. The Bible says where, there tru where there's truth, there's freedom. Amen? There's, when we experience truth, there's freedom in that. Each generation, that's what we're called to. Um, however, there are some troubling trends for kids and youth in today's culture. Um, I'm going to give you five and then camp out on one. Number one, it's the rise of religious nuns. Um, not like nuns with uh, robes on, but like nuns. Uh, nothing. Uh, these are individuals, generation um, Y and Z is what we call it. Those that are younger than the Gen X population. I'm the Gen Xer. I grew up when MTV came out, VH1, Headbangers Ball. Do you remember that? Uh, it was pretty cool, you know. Um, and then all of a sudden, so the rise of the religious nuns for Gen um, Y and Z, young people, it's the largest, listen to this, the largest demographic ever recorded in American history. And they are by and large more um, disassociated with any formal religion than any other group out there. Um, so increasingly secular, increasingly not claiming uh, Christianity, just uh, we don't, they may believe in Jesus, but they're not going to say they're Christians. This is the rise of religious nuns. That's the time frame we are in today in the 21st century, and increasingly there's a breakdown of the family. Trend number two, major breakdown of the family. Divorce, again, is uh, just increasing. Um, the breakdown of the family, usually the kids go with mom, not with dad, uh, which leaves a lot of fatherless children in a, our, our homes and our communities. That's why we as a church do something about that. Please get the word out that we're the church that helps the single moms with the fatherless boys. So we're going to raise up a generation where the young boy has a father mentor. That's what we do. This is a massive breakdown. It's uh, the family, by the way, is the basic building block for all of civilization, for all time. It's uh, the husband, the wife, they begin a family. You are a family. If, you have, if you're a husband and a wife, you're married together, you're the beginning of the family. And then you have the great role and the opportunity to procreate, to fill the earth, to make babies, have as many of them as you can. My only regret in parenting is I didn't have more kids. Um, we can build families together then as a, we influence our kids and then they have kids, but there's a breakdown. Environmentalists, depopulation movements, 
um, same-sex relationships, all these factor into this breakdown, the disintegration and the demoralization um, of individuals has led to a breakdown of family, rise in divorce, very, very confusing times. Then there is the technology. I call it the iBabies and the screenagers. <laughs> and uh, the first words of baby is not mama, dada, it is iPad iPad. Um, I've been guilty of letting, letting the digital screens be my babysitter. Have you? My kids had way too much electronics the last few days. Leslie's out of town. She's in California. I pray for her. Um, she's in California having a great time um, on the beaches with her sister and niece. And I probably have done way too much screen time. So I hope you're not watching this, Leslie, uh, with the kids iBabies and screenagers. Average uh, teenager right now spends between four and eight hours a day. And the majority of that, you can monitor it on your phone. If you have an iPhone, at least, you can see um, where that time is spent. Much of that is social media, very destructive. Um, it should be no surprise, this next rising trend in youth, kids and youth culture, the rise of mental health problems. I've struggled with anxiety my whole life. I've had literally panic attacks, thought I was like having a heart attack multiple times. Um, it wasn't due to technology, it was just due to stress and overwhelming myself in grad school and uh, probably in parenting and being sleep deprived. Um, I've struggled with depression in the early uh, formation of the church. Uh, everything did not go as I wanted it to. I had chronic pain, I didn't sleep, I couldn't walk right, I couldn't bend over correctly. I had major uh, back uh, challenges and it led to a depression. There's a rise of mental health crisis in today's time where depression is an all-time high. We're giving out um, so much uh, pharmaceutical drugs to deal with some of the challenges and the problems. And then there's the guilt of comparison and feeling like you're not good enough because we're always on the screens. It's fantasizing and wishing your life was different. That's called coveting. And uh, then you've got the rise of the mental health. You also have suicide. Uh, kids are taking their own lives all the time. They're cutting. They're hurting themselves. This is where we're at. This is what's going on. And then there is what I will spend more time on is in the indoctrination in education. This is, uh, I need you to know what I'm about to share with you uh, probably is PG to PG-13. So if you don't feel comfortable in the room, um, then, um, or your kids or whatever, then you can go ahead and leave. There's no, no harm, no foul, it's okay. I just want to give that disclaimer. I'm going to share with you um, some slides that have uh, been in the public school system and share my story. And this is not necessarily indicative of all public schools, so I give that disclaimer. I'm also giving the disclaimer, I actually do not have a kid that I'm worried about in the public school system. Um, both of my kids, uh, Sam and Riley, they're 17 years old. They're, um, I taught them at a very young age. You can aspire to be a sheep in your life, your, for your whole life, you could be a shepherd or you can be a wolf. The Bible gives those three metaphors for individuals. And I said, do you want to be a sheep? Sheep just follow the other sheep. But we follow Jesus because he's the chief shepherd. Or you could be a shepherd and you can help guide other sheep and care for your friends. Or you can be the wolf who eats the sheep and beats them up, the bullies. They said, well, dad, we want to be shepherds. So they're 17, they're graduating uh, from high school. They've been in the public school system from kindergarten to 12th grade. And I will say those have been some great years. 
However, the last few years have been very concerning to me. Uh, my youngest daughter, she's 10, 11, uh, she's 11 now, and uh, we pulled her out of the public school system. Um, we sent her into a, a, a private school, a Montessori school. They started teaching some weird things. Um, we were paying a lot of money. I said, I don't like that. I pulled her out and I, we put her into North Valley Christian Academy. I really like that. That's a good school. Um, Northwest Christian's another great school. Um, parents, you have to decide what you're looking for. But I'm going to argue today that there's an indoctrination in education. Um, and you don't, you don't, it's okay if you disagree. I welcome uh, disagreement. Um, but I'm going to share with you um, some, some of the uh, content that's being taught, not only from teachers' lectures, but content in the curriculum. Okay? So here we go. Let's, let's work on uh, looking at some of these. Uh, the first one is just for some terms that's being taught. This was in a uh, psychology course, so of course you're going to get more provocative content in psychology, um, sociology, right? Like, come on, we expect it, right? That's fine. So biological sex, just a definition here, the uh, physiological anatomy, internal and external sex organs one is born with, such as uh, female, male, or intersex which intersex is basically when a child is born, um, they have, uh, they basically could go either way, male or female. It's an immor it's a, it's an, uh, deformity of genes is what it is. And the child is born basically where the parents and the doctor have to make a decision, is this, excuse me, is this individual going to be male or female? Um, some people argue this a lot for the idea of trans transgenderism. Um, but the problem is with that argument is this is a, a deformity of genes that happens less than 1% of the entire children uh, birth rate or whatever. So it's very, very much a not a normal thing, um, but that is true. Uh, there are male and there are female. So ladies and gentlemen, Charles Darwin did have it correct when he argued the idea it's a survival for the species. Well, how do the species survive? They procreate. What do they look for? The males look for the females. The females look for the males. Uh, currently in an educational system, they actually don't teach Darwin's theory anymore because it messes up the idea of same-sex relationships, which is very interesting to me. Uh, if I'm losing you, I'll capture you again in just a moment. Let's look at gender. Gender is, uh, according to this teacher, the way in which society determines and manages biological sex categories. Gender is either uh, self-assigned or assigned by others. Gender is not biological category, but is instead a social category. Agree, disagree. Um, my kid said, that's not true. That's kind of weird. Good job, kids. You're doing good. That is kind of weird. But let's figure out the motivation behind this, these ideas. Well, here's another slide. According to uh, one teacher, this is, you can't see it very well, but there's a lot of uh, sample of animals who exhibit gay behavior. So you, you can see in the picture, those penguins are a little too frisky. They're touching each other's wings. You're, you could laugh at that or you could just... I think that's kind of funny. Very interesting. Uh, another motivation is this, is that sometimes people are born, here's another slide, uh, sometimes people are born uh, with the idea that you have maybe like, uh, in this example, a, 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 a man brain, meaning it's a female, uh, 
but they're born with a man brain and male brain, and in their heart, they're bi, but their uh, genitalia is female. So everything's so confusing with this stuff. You're like, what? I agree. I'm like, what is being taught? Okay, well, if you decide to speak up about it and say you disagree, uh, you can't because uh, classrooms are called to be safe places, safe spaces. What does this mean? In other words, you can't say anything that's offensive. Well, isn't there a constitutional right? Freedom of speech? I mean, here's the thing, ladies and gentlemen. Be comfortable disagreeing with people, but don't be a jerk while you're disagreeing. Um, so kids are told this is a safe space, and you got room for everybody here, but you cannot, meaning safe, meaning you can't say anything that disagrees with the woke ideology or their gender ideas. Well, here's an example, again, taking it further. Um, this is disturbing. Uh, now imagine, this is taught to students, now imagine that when you look at your body in the mirror, you feel disconnected. You feel your genitalias are shameful and dirty and feel as though you are trapped in someone else's body with no chance of escape. As you get older, you hate the way your body is changing and therefore you hate yourself. These elements of disconnect and shame are important to understand when discussing transgender indu, that's a typo, uh, individuals is what they mean. Uh, fortunately, fortunately, right? Thankfully, woo, sociology's here. Fortunately, sociological studies pave the way for a deeper, more empirically grounded understanding in transgender experience. I'm sorry, I think intellectualism has beat out common sense. That's what's going on. Um, I had an hour and a half long conversation with the head of the sociology department and the teacher about this content. And I said, I find this really offensive, a violation. Arizona School Board Association, you're supposed to notify us, supposed to let us know, not supposed to teach this kind of stuff. You're giving them exercises and telling them to go ahead and make a swap, try this out think about it. Here's the assignment, gender swapping. The only extra credit that was provided in the class. No other extra credit, just this one opportunity. If you want extra credit, which you're not supposed to do, uh, we'll call it enhanced credit to avoid the word extra. And it's the only assignment you can possibly have uh, for improve your grade. This is an optional, it was optional, and additional assignment that can be supplemental to the week. Dress, behave like a different gender than you identify. And there you go. And yes, there was a disclaimer at the bottom. I appreciated that. However, we were never notified when I brought it up. I was like, this is really controversial. This is not good. Um, it was basically belittled to, you're a pastor, you're a Christian, uh, you believe in like ideas like uh, creation, we believe in ideas. And this individual said, like uh, the Darwin theory and evolution, and therefore we will always disagree. I'm like, oh, okay. Thank you very much. That was a waste of time. Um, and how about this one? This was recently, so this isn't just in um, one class. This is, a, I think this is a history class. Uh, introduction survey, not supposed to give out surveys. Please fill out this quick survey so I can learn more about you. Okay, name, first name, last name, period, preferred name. Preferred pronouns, he, him, she, her, they, them. Your answer, this is a required question. I had a lot of questions about that. 
so kids get to name themselves, whatever, then they can just say, well, I'm going to the opposite sex restroom because I can. Then uh, I want to join the other team. I want to join, if I'm a boy, I want to join a girl's team. Did parents get notified? No. Uh, you know what's going on right now? It's called Title IX. I don't know if you know about this and the legal uh, ramifications of it, but Title IX is basically trying to protect children so they can self-assign their own gender, not tell their parents, not tell anybody, and the kid gets to do this. Um, there was a case down in Florida where a kid self-assigned themselves just like this as a different pronoun, different sex. Parents were never notified. The kid ended up with mental health issues, ended up taking uh, her own life. Um, parents sued the school because they said, you can't do this. You can't hide this stuff. You can't not even tell us. And they were claiming, yes, we can because we're, um, it, we don't want to discriminate against the child. This is the state of our schools in many regards. Some of you say, no, it's not. Well, maybe it's not, and I hope, I hope I'm wrong. Um, here's another one. This is a grammar course, um, and this is in the content. This is in the books. This is not a lecture rogue teacher. Um, this was a grammar class, and so I don't think you can read it, but basically... It says, let's look at some examples of how to do uh, some division classification, uh, a dominant technique in, in structuring essays. And they give like five or six examples on how to restructure it. But the one that's underlined like really thoroughly is all about shifting gender roles and like why that's happening and what to do about it. And it portrays it as what I'm calling this is called normalizing deviant behavior. That, that's what I would call it a normalization of deviant behavior. Just by the way, American Psychiatric Association, which is crazy liberal, wild leftists that are um, crazy progressive, even them, <laughs> like 10 years ago, would have labeled same-sex relationship as deviant behavior. So I'm not like out to lunch altogether, you know, I'm maybe out to lunch to you, that's okay. I don't even have a kid who's... Uh, being negatively influenced by this. My only concern in addressing you is because um, I think there is a moral and ethical responsibility for people that love Jesus and love their communities to say something, to do something. Because there's 40 to 50,000 kids alone, or 30 to 40 kids alone in our district. That, uh, this is incredibly uh, dangerous in, in damaging to their well-being. I think perhaps this is why Ducey said, hmm, I'm a Catholic. I value Christian values. Yes, he does. I don't like the educational system. I think we'll assign tax credits so that parents can make the decision and, they're, and they don't have to go to public schools. Uh, they will be uh, credited up to $8,000, I think it is, to send their kids to any kind of school of their choice. I think that's a very good move. I'm sorry to say that. I've always been a public school fan. If you're a, a public school worker, a teacher, here's my encouragement to you. You need to think of yourself like a missionary. You're a missionary. Teachers, you're a missionary. We will always have your back. We will always support you. Um, should parents send their little kids into that and tell them to be missionaries? I don't think so. 
They're not ready to be missionaries. There's a reason why the Mormons wait until they've been indoctrinated before they send them out on their mission. You have a moral and spiritual and ethical responsibility. Um, all public school workers or private school workers even that are uh, seeing some of this push, this agenda, this indoctrination. You're a missionary if you love Jesus. You've got to figure out how to share and show the love of Christ and be strong and be true and do what's right. Which, by the way, I would argue, and I have found um, agreement in, in some regards, that everything I just showed you actually does push upon and breaks at some level or another. Not everything, but let's just say most of the stuff. Breaks the Arizona School Board Association standards. So I've spoke up. Started in the spring. Three different incidents happened in the, since school started. It's not just in one school. I hear dozens of people talk to me about what's going on. Recently, we had somebody in our church sent their kid to a private school. The private school, they agreed that they're not going to teach these kinds of ideas. Tuition was signed up. $30,000 was on the line. Immediately within the first uh, week or two, they start teaching some crazy radical ideas. And they said, time out. We want our money back. And they said, no way. So it's game on. This is why you have lawyers. This is why uh, we have people that help protect rights. So it's not a public school situation. It's not just a private school situation. It's a world situation. I think parents need to think about it like this. Think about it like this, that you're raising kids not for Jerusalem to live in this holy huddle, but you're raising them to live in Babylon. Uh, Babylon is the epitome of evil in the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament. Um, the kings of Babylon of old, some 500, 600 years before the time of Jesus Christ, were worth, worse than Al-Qaeda, the Mexican drug lords, um, Hitler, uh, anybody else, uh, they were pretty godless uh, people. And Jerusalem has been thought of in um, Judeo-Christian concept is a place where faith is mainstream, part of the, uh, the civic and the spiritual life. Uh, Babylon is where faith is marginalized. Uh, in Jerusalem, there is one God. In Babylon, there are many gods. In Jerusalem, it's family-focused, uh, very pro-family. Even within Judeo-Christianity and American culture, uh, the Mormons, the Catholics, and the Protestant Christians all affirm family. That's why you see big Catholic families, you know, big Mormon families. We need more big Protestant families. Uh, very family-focused, government-focused is Babylon, sexually conservative Jerusalem mentality, sexually progressive in Babylon, uh, educational system in Jerusalem, very God-centered educational system in Babylon, very anti-God-focused. Uh, uh, in Jerusalem, the mindset under Judeo-Christian values is children are a gift from the Lord. They are a gift from the Lord. This is why we're pro-life. This is why uh, what we believe. And then children uh, under Babylonian mindset, are children are subjects. They're products of the state. They, they are to be indoctrinated. This is why you've got uh, people like Hitler. They raise up an entire generation, brainwash those kids, and they will die for their government over their family. Deeper government allegiance over family allegiance. Children are subjects and they're to be sacrificed. 
That was true in uh, Daniel's day. Let me introduce you to Daniel. Uh, Daniel chapter 1, verses 1 through 21. Uh, Daniel is the author. He's a, a believer, comes out of Jerusalem, very handsome, very charming, very smart, very a cool guy, a guy that every parent should say, I want to be like that, or every kid should say, I want to be like that. So Daniel uh, comes out of, uh, during the time of the writing, some 537 years before the time of Christ. The 6th century was a pretty unique time in world history. Buddha uh, existed and lived during this time. Confucius lived during this time. The Mayan um, um, uh, Indians and the Mayan civilization down in Mexico was boom, full throttle, booming and growing. And then there's Daniel. He's in Babylon. Well, what happens? Let's read about it. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. So there's a big war going on, and it says, verse 2, and the Lord gave Jehoiakim king, that's the, the king down in uh, Judah, which would be uh, now the Jerusalem, Jehoiakim king of Judah into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. Note that the Lord did this. This wasn't an accident. Daniel records that. And then uh, verse 2, following on, and he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Verse 3, then the king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuchs, to bring some of the people of Israel, both the royal family and of the nobility, Youths without blemish of good appearance and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, competent to stand in the king's palace and to teach them the literature and the language of the Chaldeans. Um, so what's going on in verse 4? Um, they've taken the best and the brightest, the next generation for Israel. Why? Because they're going to build a whole new group of people, brainwash them. They're going to go into education for three years. They're going to learn the anti-God ways. Verse 5, it says they're going to give them food. The king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank and they were drank and they were uh, to be educated for three years. The education that Daniel and his friends received are actually far worse than the kind of education our, our kids are receiving in the public school system and some of the private schools. Believe me, it, it's not this bad. This is as bad as bad can get. This is why this is a great case study for parents uh, to look at. So among these were, um, well, okay, let me finish verse 5. The king assigned them daily portions of food that the king ate and the wine that he drank. They were to be educated for three years. At the end of that time, they were to stand before the king indoctrination in education. Verse 6, among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, uh, Azariah of the tribe of Judah. These are young, uh, good-looking uh, teenage boys. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them the names. Daniel, he called Belshazzar, Hananiah, he called Shadrach, Mishael, he called uh, Meshach, and Azariah, he called Abednego. This is where we get Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You probably know the story. Did you know what Daniel's name meant? Well, Daniel uh, was named God is my judge. Mom, prophetically, probably, or dad, prophetically named this young boy um, this wonderful name where Daniel, as a little boy, would say, God is my judge. God is the one who I am accountable to. 
my whole life, I want to live in obedience and give account for my life because God is my judge. That's what his name meant. So then he gets to Babylon and they say, well, let's change that. Let's make that anti-Godish. And so they call him, uh, his name actually uh, means, uh, uh, Belshazzar actually means Bel's prince. It was a demonic title for evil for the god of Murdoch. And it would basically be like if you were a Christian, your name would be changed to your Satan's prince. So imagine that every day. Good morning, Satan's prince. Good morning, Satan's prince. This is what Daniel was dealing with. Uh, continuing on, verse 8, but Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord, the king who assigned your food and your drink, for why should you see that, uh, why should he see that you were in worse condition than the youths who are of your own age. So you would endanger my head with the king? Then Daniel said, verse 11, then Daniel said to the steward whom the chief, uh, whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, so you would endanger my head with the king. Verse 12, test your servants. This is what Daniel says. He says, uh, you know what? Go ahead and test us. I promise it's going to work out. You're not going to lose your head. Verse 12, test your servants for 10 days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. And then let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you and deal with your servants according to what you see. In other words, Daniel had trust in God. He believed God was the judge. He knew he didn't answer to um, evil. He was going to trust God. Verse 14, so he listened to them in this matter. This is the chief eunuch the guy who had power over Daniel and his buddies. He said, all right, fine, I'll listen to you. And tested them for 10 days. And at the end of 10 days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. So what happened? God was with them. God was honoring his obedience. This is what happens when you live for God. Things go better for you. The Christian life is the best life. Living by the rules and the principles that God's established is always better. The Bible says where there's truth, there's freedom. Amen? Where there's truth, there's freedom. Live for the king, King Jesus. Verse 16, so the steward took away their food and the wine, and uh, they were to drink and gave them vegetables. As for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill and literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. By the way, he worked for four different evil dictators. He worked for four kings. He reported to four kings for over 70 years, and he did not uh, stray away or fall away. So is it possible for people to live in a Babylonian-ish world and still be faithful? Absolutely. This doesn't advocate that we should send our kids, though, into it willfully. This is judgment by God uh, to the Israelites. Verse 18, at the end of the time when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king spoke with them. And among all of them, uh, none were like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah. Therefore, the stu- they stood before the king. Verse 20. And in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians, the enchanters that were in his kingdom. And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. 
So what are five essentials for believers in Babylon? I'd say number one is humility. Daniel had an incredible amount of humility. He believed at the bottom of his heart that God was the judge, and he wasn't rude or disrespectful, if you notice that, when he was dialoguing with his overseers. He's a slave. He's probably been castrated, by the way, because he's in the unit court. And so your Sunday school probably never taught you that, but this is, I mean, you talk about being belittled. You talk about being brainwashed. He was given a name that's satanic, and he's a follower of the Lord. His whole identity is shattered. No mom, no dad, but he's incredibly humble when you look at him in the pages of Scripture. Daniel is my hero. Jesus first, Daniel second. I think maybe because God's trying to tell me to tell you this is what it's going to be like, ladies and gentlemen. Post-truth, post-Christian, that is our country. Should we fight for? Should we vote for? Should we live for? Should we speak up for truth? Oh, yeah, we should. We have a responsibility in this whole thing called life. Be humble. Don't be a jerk. Um... Be courageous. Daniel was courageous. Huge courage. He almost got people killed. He almost got his friends killed. Imagine that. Hey, trust me. Follow me. Be faithful. The chief eunuch, I don't know. The, chief, the king might have my head. Trust me, it'll work out. Test me in 10 days. Courage. What does this mean for you students? In college or high school or grade school, my encouragement is you have the courage to stand up. Did you know I think that some of the kids and the students that are here today probably have more uh, what I would call is wisdom than some of the most highly intellectual three PhDs or whatever you want to call it. It's called common sense. It's underrated today. Um, I argued with people about some of the issues that were going on with PhDs and master's programs. And it, like, we were not, it was not making sense. It was an abandonment of truth, abandonment of knowledge and wisdom. Be courageous, students. Stand up. Teachers, if you see something that's not right, stand up. Be courageous. If you see people that are violating the Arizona school board standards, be respectful, but be humble, but say something. You parents, you should be courageous to dig in to find out what's being taught, to ask the hard questions, to have the confrontation. Some of you hate confrontation. Some of you thrive on confrontation. And that, you need to be courageous, but not crazy. Get involved. One of the things I did for the last 12 years with my kids is I would say, what'd you learn at school today? And here's the classic response, nothing. And I say to them, you learned something. Tell me what you learned. And then we walk through it. Sometimes, not all the times, I was deprogramming. I was deprogramming them. But I was intentional for 12 years to make sure my kids understood what is true, what is false. Are you standing up? Are you speaking out? My son was the one who was told that you need to uh, require these pronouns. And he walked up to the teacher and said, excuse me, ma'am, um, I'm not going to fill this out. You know who I am and you know what I am. Thank you. Sit down. I'm like, if I was in the class, I'd like, yeah! Stand up, be courageous, be respectful. 
I got to grow in this area. Sometimes when you're really courageous, you can be very disrespectful. Um, respect is something that everybody deserves, no matter what lifestyle they come from, no matter uh, what religious position they hold, no matter what political position they hold. Daniel did that. He worked for Nebuchadnezzar, the warlord. He worked for these people. Deeply respectful. Um, I think, especially in conservative politics, we've lost the art of being respectful. I, I, I'm sorry. I don't find it respectful when you fly flags that say, let's go, Brandon. I don't. Why? Because the Bible says, let no unwholesome speech come out of your mouth. That's why. I'm a biblicist. I believe in the Bible. I believe that you're supposed to treat people with respect. I believe that we should pray for people. You know who I was praying for this morning? I was praying for our teachers in the public school. I was praying for our uh, superintendents. I was praying for the principals. And I was praying for the president. Why do I do that? Because that's what the Bible says to do. Pray for the people in high places. Be respectful. The best example you probably find living in a difficult time is not me, it's Daniel. Maybe it's Jesus in the New Testament being full of grace and full of truth all the time. Be respectful. How about wisdom? You need wisdom. I need wisdom. We don't need more education. We don't need higher degrees. We just need common sense. It's underrated. I probably have a low IQ. I don't know. I've never taken it before. But I don't care about my IQ. I care about being practical and wise. I read the Proverbs all the time because that's where the Bible tells me I can learn a lot about people and learn a lot about God, but mainly about people, just so you know. Proverbs, it's a wisdom book. Be wise. Daniel was wise. He learned how to navigate difficult situations. Be wise. Be wise in who you talk to, how you talk to people, what you say. Did you know before I shared this message, I met with school officials and teachers and I said this, tell me what I should and should not say. Not that I was going to do everything they said, but I, I just want to know, what am I missing? I took their advice, some of it. But I, I listen. I want to listen. Hope. Daniel had hope. He had a very strong vision for the sovereignty of God. He believed without any, with any hesitation that it was actually God who took King Jehoiakim, ripped him out of Judah, and handed him over to Babylon. Could that happen in American culture? It could. What does our Bible tell us? Our Bible tells us that in the last days that there will be a great sifting where believers will be sifted into two categories, what I will call conservative historical believers, Christians, that hold to the Bible as the absolute authority of God, that are going to live for Jesus Christ no matter how hard it gets. And then there will be the progressive Christians that say we don't believe in the authority of Scripture. Half of that stuff is true, not all of it. And we will form and fashion for ourselves our own God. I think that's what's happened in the last 10 years in American culture. And we're all saying we're Christians. So what should we do? Is there hope? I think there is hope. I think there's hope. I think there's hope for these over here. 
and say, hey, you can return and renew your love for Jesus Christ and the authority of Scripture. It's good. Believe me. Trust me. Everything folks are looking for in this new wave of anti or this pluralistic lost society, actually they're looking for love. They're actually looking, everybody's looking for love and acceptance and meaning. And our message to them shouldn't be, you evil, I'm going to kill you, I hate you, F Joe Biden. It should be, Jesus is better. He's better than everything that you're looking for. Um, hope for these individuals over here, I think hope is, is that the Scripture tells us in the last days that the church will be sifted and the church will be strengthened. Is not, this not true? In the last few years, have we not seen a stronger church in so many ways across American landscape because of the pressures that we felt? It's like diamonds. They start off as coals and you put a lot of pressure on them and they emerge into something powerful and beautiful, valuable. I think pressure creates something that's wonderful. There should be a lot of hope. Jesus is Lord. So what does this mean for us as New Testament believers? Um, just a couple of passages of scriptures and I'll close. Jesus said it like this, for the influence of the life of the believer, the influence for the church. What does it mean to follow Jesus Christ? How should we make an impact? Who are we? What's our identity? Jesus said this to his followers in the greatest sermon ever. Matthew 5, he says, uh, you're salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It can't. Uh, it's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. What's Jesus saying? He's saying you are definitively, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you're salt. What does salt do? Salt preserves and salt promotes. It promotes uh, flavor. That's why you put that salt on your food. You want it to draw out the flavors. Christians ought to be the kind of people kind of like bringing out the, the, the joy, bringing out the satisfaction, the goodness out of life. But Christians are also supposed to be preservatives, to preserve truth. And when you look back on church history, guess what you'll find? Councils and creeds. Why did those councils and creeds exist? You know why they existed? To preserve truth. It was a fight to hold on to the true Christian message. Ladies and gentlemen, you are to preserve truth. That is your role as a mom, as a dad, a grandparent, a grandmother, a grandfather, teachers. Uh, were to, Christians were to be salt. Verse 14, Jesus says, not only there, but you're the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket. Shine your light, but on a stand it gives light to all in the house in the same way let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Notice that phrase that says a city on a hill. A city is plural, lots of people. Christianity is not intended to live where you're just living alone and shining your light. There's not a lot of light with one light. When there's an army of people together, they become a great influence for good. And the good news about light, ladies and gentlemen, for you that are Christians, you are light of the world. Guess what? The light only gets brighter the darker it gets. The light always gets brighter. In closing, um, I want to remind you, light exposes, salt preserves. 
What will you expose? What will you preserve? Will you be courageous? Will you be humble? Will you be respectful? Will you be hopeful? I want to remind you, um, for those of you maybe that come out of a Catholic background or a Mormon background or a Jewish background, why do we do what we do as Christians? Why do we seek to do good? I want to ground you in the gospel and the good news of Jesus Christ before we close out and then we'll take communion. The Apostle Paul said this, he tied God's grace and salvation and in good works all together. So all the good works that Christians do shouldn't be uh, for acceptance with God, but because we're accepted by God. The Apostle Paul said it like this, for by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it's the gift of God. It's not a result of works so that no one may boast. So to all my Jewish friends, Catholic friends, and Mormon friends, I'd say, you don't earn your way to heaven. It's by God's grace. And out of that grace and that gratitude of being thankful that we are saved by God's grace and have a great message to share with people, Paul says, verse 19, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for, help me out, good, good works, which Catholics, Jews, and Mormons, and JWs, and everybody else love good works. Why? Because they're trying to earn their way to heaven. But here's the point. We are his workmanship, creating Christ Jesus for it, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Could this be a good work God's prepared for us to be a light, to preserve truth? You have a moral and spiritual responsibility, at least to your kids, but why not expand that to the good of the community, the good of our city? Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 says this, we do good works from acceptance, not for acceptance. That's the big idea. So why do we do good works? Because we've been saved. Because we know God. Because it's good. We do our good works not for acceptance. We do good works from acceptance. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I pray that we would take it to heart. And I pray that something would change in us. I need changing. And thank you for your grace. And as we receive communion today... Might we be reminded, man, you are good, Lord. And we want to live for you and honor you in all things, whether on the school campus, in our homes, in our workplace. Might we honor you. Might we think of like the name of Daniel, God is my judge. And live under that. We have a life to answer for, and thank you for the life we have. Every day is a blessing. We pray not only for our kids and our but the kids in the future and the generation, they are a gift from the Lord. The next Thanks so much for listening. If you'd like to support North Valley Church by partnering with us through giving, you can do so by visiting us online at northvalley.org. Thanks and have a great day.